Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to episode 19 of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co-hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. As we noted, this is episode 19, moving right along, getting toward the end of the regular season for 2021 and lots to talk about. Um, And frankly, Steve, with um, the way the Red Sox have been playing the last few days, um, none of it is good. It seemed like they had salvaged a very difficult road trip, overcome a tough outbreak of COVID that at one point wiped out about 40% of their major league roster. And we were saluting them for their fortitude and resilience. And then they lose the series finale to Cleveland on Sunday, lose in excruciating fashion on Labor Day, blowing a 7-1 lead, and then lose again on Tuesday night where they get blown out and give up 12 runs. So uh, lots to go over. And if you're a Red Sox fan, you know that unfortunately not a lot of it is good. Um, Let's start, Steve, with the outfield defense, which was certainly reared its ugly head in the Labor Day loss. And an area that the team has actually been pretty good uh, for most of the season. If you look at some of the defensive metrics, P.K. Hernandez, who just returned on Tuesday night from his COVID stint, uh, ranks among the top center fielders in the game this year in terms of defensive runs saved. He's been excellent out there. Alex Verdugo has played a very solid left, and Hunter Renfro has not only tackled right field, but he has a slew of assists and has shown off that arm and thrown out guys all over the place. And yet we found out over the weekend that sometimes it's difficult to shift over. Now talk about Verdugo who had a brutal game on Labor Day. Uh, He's played left field. Well, he played right field. I thought very well last year, admittedly in a shortened season, but he's a guy that really has struggled in center field as someone who has played in that ballpark and probably played all three outfield spots. What makes center field the challenge that Verdugo has not been able to solve? Well, it's a little bit of an enigma because, as you mentioned, he is pretty good in the corner outfield positions, which I always found much more difficult to play um you know center field the toughest part about playing center field is a ball that's hit directly at you because you have very little depth perception uh to judge the ball quickly it's it's the one ball in the outfield where you really have to tell yourself to freeze before you make any kind of a move uh before you know where it's going don't make the move before you know if it's going to be dropping in front of you or going over your head. And guys get themselves in trouble when they do that. 
Um, you, you can get an angle on most balls in center field, but the one hit directly out, you easily the most difficult ball to play. You know, the, the biggest thing that I see with the outfield and the situation that they're in is that you have guys playing out of position. Verdugo isn't a center fielder and he struggles there. As you mentioned, he plays the corner outfield spots better. It's where he's more comfortable. And we know that right field might be the most difficult right field to play in any day game, in any game, any ballpark in the world. Right field at Fenway Park is very, very difficult to play. Center has its challenges because of the angles in the wall and the triangle out there. And, and you have a, a ton of room to, to cover uh, to your left as you look into home plate, into right center field. And, and then you have to be so much help into left field to help your left fielder with balls off the wall. So there's a lot of responsibility out there that, you know, you, you should know by now if you're Verdugo, cause you played on this team for two seasons now. Um, but he's just not as good. He's out of position there. Um, you know, you yeah, mentioned we, Kike I mean, coming back. Mention that the, the reason he's out of position is uh, at least recently is because of the COVID issue. So both Darren sure. and, who obviously is still learning and is not an accomplished outfielder yet. He only switched to the position professionally a couple of years ago. He's still getting comfortable, but he's got the speed sometimes to close and make up for whatever inexperience he has there. But Hernandez has been an excellent outfielder. He only returned on Tuesday night from the COVID list. So, you know, we, we're talking about guys playing out of position, but we, we need to emphasize that that's, Sort of the result of the COVID outbreak that is taking place and forced people to move around. But uh, there, there's no denying that, particularly on balls hit over his head, Verdugo has lost of late, particularly in center. Yeah, and you know that that's kind of what I'm talking about there. That's the most difficult ball to judge for an outfielder, and you don't really have that same situation when you're in a corner outfield position because. You know, you do have a, a natural angle looking into the plate. So you never have that ball that's hit directly at you necessarily. Um, but you're right. I mean, he's, he's had trouble. We saw an inside the park home run, which isn't even necessarily his fault. I mean, you, you do have to rely on your other outfielders. You know, one of the biggest things uh, that, that come into play, especially in Fenway, is communication between your three outfielders so that a, a situation like an inside the park home run can never happen because every outfielder is hustling on every play and they're backing up each other. And you wouldn't have a situation like that come back and bite you. But yeah, with Kike back and, and playing a decent center field, as you mentioned, things will settle down out there and you'll get to be back to playing better defense in the outfield. Now defense for the rest of the team, you know, that's another story. Yeah. And that's going to be, as we've talked about, I think a focal point of whatever Heim Bloom does to try to improve this team in the off season, but we're still a little bit away from that. We didn't know that it's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Take advantage of their opening day super promo. 
make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th NFL season opener between the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook expert. Uh, we were talking about outfield defense and Kike Hernandez coming back and sort of order being restored where Verdugo goes back to left and, and Renfro back to right. But as you were referencing, Steve, it's not just you know, not making the plays and misjudging balls as we saw happen over the weekend and again on Labor Day. The thing that I think is distressing is sort of the fundamental breakdown. And that happened on the inside the park home run by Austin Meadows, where Verdugo misplays it, can't find it, balls bouncing around. And neither, uh, neither corner outfielder is moving over to try to help him out there. And we've seen that kind of uh, display where the fundamentals are maybe lack of hustle or guys not running hard out of the box on a ball they think is going to go out, guys not uh, making the proper cutoff throw. This kind of stuff shouldn't be happening in the second week of September of the season. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that should not be trying to figure out who they are right now. And that's almost what you see. And again, you point back to the COVID outbreak, half the team that you didn't even know uh, was in the big leagues. You know, they were picking names off the scrap heap to come in and help out. And they did a good job through that. But when you get the guys that you want to be out there and they're out there playing and you're still having problems, you know, then that's, you know, I, I hate to say that it comes down to coaching, but you sooner or later you got you point a finger at somebody and those guys should not be making those kind of mistakes at this point in the season, especially when you're in the big leagues. I mean, I can understand if you're in double a, but everybody knows what Fenway park's all about. If you're an outfielder and it, as I said, it comes down to communication. Um, you know, I used to pride myself when I was playing center field that, you know, I'm talking to my left fielder and right fielder every two pitches, you know, and, and kind of pumping guys up and making sure, you know, we, we used to tell ourselves all the time that there are no triples on this field. That was, that's what I used to hate more than anything was giving up a triple because you should be able to get to any gap except for in that corner and right center field yeah, is the, the only real time. Yeah. When you get to the triangle out there, then, then you can give up a triple, but if you're really hustling, you can still close that down and, you know, for God's sakes, never an inside the park home run. If you're backing each other up, as soon as that ball goes deep to center field, both corner in infielders or outfielders should be sprinting to shallow center field headed both that way, uh, just so that they can back up. They know that the walls 37 feet high, it's either going to go into the seats or off that wall, or the ball's going to get caught. And if it goes off the wall, there's a good chance it's going to bounce all the way back. You've got to be there as one of those corner outfielders. I mentioned when we were talking about Verdugo, the responsibilities that he has as a center fielder, it's the same for him. If there's a ball hit off the left field wall, he's got to bust into shallow left field to, to get the carom if the left fielder has to go up and try to make a catch up against the wall. And that's just fundamental. That's what you know you have to do in Fenway Park. And, yeah, and, and it's not a good sign that it was Jose Iglesias uh, returning to the Red Sox, playing his first game on Labor Day, and he's the one 
who retrieves the ball all the way out in deep center field and has to make the cutoff throw because neither Martinez in left nor Renfro in right got over in time to help with backing up Verdugo, who had struggled with the ball. Uh, Steve, I, I, don't yeah. know if you, I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to professional basketball in Spain soon. Apparently, he's going to try out for Paul Gasol's team, taking a new product he owes the credit to, Balance 7. Balance 7 is a pH-balancing alkaline supplement drink. It's like vitamins or supplements in liquid form. Just one ounce a day, three times a day, and in a week, you'll see the effects. Now, Steve, aging or veteran athletes, you played into your 30s, certainly. I'm sure there were times toward the end of your career where maybe you weren't bouncing back and recovering quite as well as you did when you were younger. Now that, that is the biggest issue as you, as you age is the recovery time. You know, some days when you wake up in the morning, it's a little tougher to get out of bed. You need a little extra boost. Yeah. And, and that's what Lamar is using. You can see how balance seven has helped him. And right now, if you go to balance7.com and use the promo code BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, you'll get $10 off their 32-ounce bottle. The bottle lasts 11 days, which is the perfect amount of time to feel the pH-balancing drink go to work. Again, that's balance7.com. Use the code word BLEAVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. He did. It worked for him, and it can work for you, too. Um, I thought we'd uh, talk a little bit, you know, we're, we're evaluating where the Red Sox are with a little more than three weeks to go in the season. But it seems like it's never too early to look ahead a little bit. And I thought we'd have a fun exercise tonight, Steve. And I'll make you general manager for the day. And you have a decision to make. You can... Uh, retain J.D. Martinez as your DH for 2022 for the Red Sox. He is, after all, under contract for uh, $19.375 million, although there is an opt-out in there for them. So we'll see how that works out. Or you could have Kyle Schwarber return as your DH and either hope that Martinez opts out or even if he doesn't opt out, perhaps trade him with the year remaining on his deal. Now with Schwarber, while there is a option, it is a mutual option. And the, the consensus is that Schwarber is going to get much more than I think the 12 million, maybe 13 million that the mutual option calls for. So it's gonna involve re-signing him for a multi-year deal. But when you, if you bring back Schwarber instead of Martinez, you're getting a player who's about five years younger than J.D. Martinez is, um, you're probably going to be paying him less than Martinez is going to make at least for next year. So if you're making the call now, Steve, which way do you go there? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. And obviously it may work itself out. You know, you talk about that opt-out that Martinez has. He may think that the he, the the grass is greener somewhere else and you make the decision a little bit easier for the Red Sox. But, you know, the thing with Schwarber and, 
you know, I, I think he's made an immediate impact on that team and it's a positive impact. I think he's a good clubhouse guy. You know, he, he plays hard, but it's hard to notice because you don't have to see him play in the field that often. And, and there's no question he's a liability in the field. doesn't matter where you're going to put him. Even if you teach him how to play first base, he's not going to learn how to play first base um, quickly enough for him to be a, a, an excellent first baseman. And he's terrible in the outfield. We know that. Kid can swing the bat, though. There's no question about that. And he's an excellent influence in the clubhouse. But so is J.D. And so, you know, sometimes the, the evil that you know, it sometimes might be the better option to go with. And there's no question that J.D. Martinez has been a, a huge asset to that ball club and an excellent influence on some of the younger players as well. Yeah, I don't think there's any uh, doubt about that. But if, if you're looking at the fact that Martinez is 34 years old, he's going to end up with the lowest OPS he's had in his stay with the Red Sox, which began back in 2018. The numbers are going to be far short of what they were in 2018 and 2019, his first two years. And of course, we know that 2020 was a disaster for him. He insisted that was an aberration because it was a short season, not being able to have video in-game, all those things. And it turns out he was largely correct. He's bounced back pretty nicely in 2021. But the home runs are down, the doubles are down, the slugging's down, the OPS is down. And I wonder... If it's not a better bet to hitch your wagon a little bit for a few years with Schwarber, who is a different kind of hitter, obviously, left-handed versus right-handed. Maybe there's something to be said about, you know, another lefty bat to balance out some of that lineup. And they are somewhat different hitters, even though Schwarber's having his best power year. He's an on-base guy. He's got an excellent judge of the, judgment of the strike zone. He walks more. Uh, he strikes out less. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, if you're going to, if you could maybe get Schwarber for three or four years at say $15 million a year, uh, a four year, $60 million a year, whether that might be a better way to go rather than bringing back a guy who seems to be at, at the beginning of a, of a decline in terms of his production. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about pitchers, you know, you start that decline around 30. Uh, hitters certainly start that decline in, in the, you know, 33, 34-year-old range. And that's where Martinez is. So you pick up a lot of youth in Schwarber. You know, obviously, there's another way to go there, too. You could, you could certainly find someone on the market out there that you could bring in that isn't either of those guys. But, um, you know, the, the thing that I like about Schwarber's approach is that I truly believe that we're going to start to, maybe not soon, but we're going to start to see the game change back to the way it used to be played. You're going to start to see more guys like Kyle Schwarber who do um, take walks, who do approach the game differently. You know, and I, I usually try to bring up Bogarts in this situation. Bogarts has never been an all or nothing launch angle, swing for the trees, you know, come hell or high water, just going to hit home runs. He's always been an on-base guy, a guy who will take a base hit, a guy who'll hit doubles and be on base. You know, you got to go sooner or later. The game's got to go back to to playing it that way because you can win games if you have a number of players that are like that. And you know, and so I like his approach in that regard. Yeah, I think it's an interesting. Um, and look, this may all be a moot point. It may be that. You know, there's a lot riding on whether the National League adopts 
the, the designated hitter on a permanent basis. The consensus is that's going to happen. But here's where it gets tricky from a timing standpoint. J.D. Martinez has to make a decision about opting out within five days after the end of the World Series. So that puts us no later than November 8th this year. Meanwhile, the current CBA does not expire until December 1st. And I know of no one who believes that there's going to be a smooth negotiation and a new agreement in place to, to uh, immediately kick over on December 1st. So Martinez is going to have to make his decision without knowing for certain, although most people expect it will, without knowing for certain if the DH is going to be in the National League. And that changes the market for him, right? Because if all of a sudden there are 29 other teams who are going to have a DH, including a lot of National League teams who currently don't have anybody in that role because it's not available or not part of the National League rules for 2021, that changes his market but that market may not develop for certain until months after he's got to make his opt-out. So there's a lot of timing issues to this and a lot of kind of balls in the air at once that are going to influence not only what the players do, but what teams are going to think, and, and including the Red Sox. Yeah, and he won't be the only guy that has to make a decision like that. Right. Um, right. You know, and I don't know, it's, it seems to me, and you know, I wasn't as close to the situation as I'm sure you were. Weren't you really surprised that it wasn't adopted this year? Because wasn't it a, just kind of a foregone conclusion that we knew the National League was finally going to adopt? It was. They played uh, with it in 2020 in the 60-game season, but it became one of those leveraged talking points in the in uh, labor talks between the Players Association and the owners, and the owners thought that the players would give something back in order to have the DH again in 2020, uh, 2021 rather, and the Players Association kind of called their bluff and said, look, um, you know, if you don't do it this year, uh, that's up to you, but we're not giving up anything. So it kind of died when most people thought it was a fait accompli that the National League would again have the DH sort of as a precursor doing it permanently in the new CBA. This is going to be a piecemeal deal, just like it was in 2020, but it never happened. Yeah, and if I was extremely surprised about that. But yeah, I'll, I'll go on record again um, by saying that I don't like the fact that they'll do it. I, I, I don't like the length of American League games with the DH. However, I do love the fact that it's always been one of the best arguments in baseball if you're a National League or an American League fan that you can sit around the table or sit in a bar or sit at a ball game and argue which is better. I think that's one of the fun arguments, and that will certainly go away if there's a DH on every team. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, Steve. I don't mind the fact that they play by different rules. It gets a little hairy in the World Series, and you wonder, is it fair to me, it's always been tougher for the American League to give up what they've played rather than the National League getting the bonus of a hitter in three or four games. But I agree with you. It's been fun to go back and forth and say kind of viva la difference between the two leagues. But I think we see with an emphasis on wanting to get more offense in the game and safety with pitchers getting injured while running the bases it seems like it's going to be here in both leagues pretty soon. But again, timing may be an issue. All right, we've got time to, to talk about one more issue that I wanted to get to this week. 
and that is the future of Eduardo Rodriguez on Tuesday night. He's coming off arguably his best start of the year. If you remember, he closed out that road trip in Tampa Bay at Tropicana Field last week with six shutout innings as the Red Sox came back and got a split of that series with Tampa. And everyone thought, okay, he's really on a roll now. Last three or four weeks of the season, they've got their big three of Sale, Evaldi, and Rodriguez all going in the right direction. So what happens on Tuesday night? He doesn't get out of the fourth inning. He gets shelled. He takes the loss in the 12-7 loss and ends up uh, you know, giving up five runs and eight hits, including a bunch of home runs in three and two-thirds innings. And now, with 21 games to go, Steve, his ERA for the season is 5.15. Now, we've noted before that some of those underlying and secondary numbers, the expected ERA and the FIP, which sort of subtracts the defensive play behind you, is about a run lower. So Rodriguez's numbers are a little skewed. That 515 isn't quite as bad as it seems, but still, this is not what you want going into your free agency winner. Yeah, I mean, consistency has always been an, an issue for him. Uh, and we thought he was turning the corner when Alex Cora took over and the relationship that those two had together. It seemed like uh, Cora rode him a little bit harder because he expected more out of him. And then, of course, the sickness, the COVID and the time off that he had. You know, who knows how long it was? it's really taking him to build stamina, get the confidence back, you know, hit his spots, all that stuff. Obviously, it's gone back to being an inconsistent process for him. I've always liked him. I, you know, he shows up to play. Um, you know, he, he's not a showboat guy. He kind of does his job. You know, I think he's concerned. You know, there was a time where we all knew he threw way too many pitches through five innings. He couldn't get deeper into games, but that's become less and less important uh, to starting pitchers these days. Um, uh, I, I think he's definitely worth re-signing depending on the, you know, the type of money you're looking for. And I think he loves being a Red Sox player and would really look at not necessarily a discounted rate to stay there, but I think that's where he wants to be. And I'd like to see him back in a Red Sox uniform. Yeah, I, I think there's some value to bringing him back. I just think it's very difficult, uh, given that you know COVID and the myocarditis with his heart which cost him all of 2020 and the up and down nature of 2021 to figure out what his long-term uh, value is. Um, you know, he's going to want to say, hey, I'm not quite 30. Uh, the last time I was healthy, I won 19 games. I pitched 200 innings. Uh, you have to discount 2021 because of what happened to me the year before. Um, I think the best bet for the Red Sox, and this is what they may do. I don't know this. Um, with, I don't say this with any... Uh, inside knowledge but i would expect that they are going to give him a qualifying offer that'll mean that he could make as much as 18 million dollars or so we don't know what that exact qualifying offer figure is going to be it'll be determined in the coming weeks as the average of the 20 percent highest uh, aav contracts in the game throughout the year that number goes up and down but figure it's going to be somewhere around 18 million that's where it's been the last couple of years give him the qualifying offer if he accepts it he essentially is back in your control you can always work toward a longer term deal over the winter or in spring training 
Um, but at least he gets a good payment for 2022, has the opportunity to go out and, and sort of reestablish his value. The Red Sox have time to get a long-term extension done if, uh, if he skips off to a good start in 2022. If he says, no, I'm going to go test the market, well, the Red Sox have got themselves a couple of extra draft picks as compensation if he signs elsewhere. So that's kind of a, a halfway in between way for them to play this. They're not committed to long term after a bad season when his value is down and he doesn't have a lot of leverage. They're not tying themselves up for, for the long term. Uh, Rodriguez is getting a good payday for 2022, no matter what happens after that. So that seems like. It, it might be the compromise solution uh, for them to both reach out and, and arrive at that for this option. Yeah, I, I think it absolutely will happen that way. And, you know, if you're, if you are a rod, you're not in the position you wanted to be in coming out as a free agent. Obviously you want to be coming off of a couple outstanding seasons and come out and say, look, who wants me now? And I'm, I'm looking at hitting the jackpot here with a long-term deal for big money. So now he's got to really make a determination whether or not he's better served to be back with the Red Sox with a qualifying offer and potential long-term deal that they can work out during that season or testing a free agent market that's uncertain for him and a lot of teams out there that may still be worried about his illness from 2020 and the season that he had in 2021. He doesn't come out with flying colors right now. I think a lot of teams might be not necessarily scared away, but they're not going to back the truck up for him either. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage here, and I think he has to ask himself, am I guaranteed that I'm going to have an AAB of $18 million a year if I sign a long-term deal elsewhere? Particularly, as you noted, where the, the assumption is that he would like to return here uh, and, and work something out, whether that's on a one-year deal, on a qualifying offer, or they work something else out. But it's going to be fascinating to watch. Um, we will be back with you next week for episode 20 of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show brought to you by Bet Online, your online sports experts. Uh, Steve, will you be back in the Continental 48 next week? <laughs> Just barely. Yes, I will. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good to know. The, the globe trotting is coming to an end. Not that we want to deprive you and your girlfriend of shortening up your vacation at all, but um, it'll be nice to have you uh, in the lower 48 again. And uh, we'll get back on a more regular schedule, we figure. Um, but in any event, we ask that you rate and review the podcast. Tell your Red Sox fan friends about it. Share the word. Spread the word. Let people know about the show. We appreciate you, lo your loyalty and listening and downloading this from wherever you get your podcasts. And Steve, we'll see you back next week. I look forward to it, Sean.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.